live to recorded media from the Humble and Fred Broadcast Center in downtown Toronto, or the west end of Toronto, to be fair. It's Swing Thoughts, brought to you by TaylorMade Golf, number one driver in the world. I don't care what other people are saying about it, but it's still the number one driver. So that's all you need to know about that. And, of course, uh, Adidas. Tim uh, O'Connor is the uh, head coach of the Guelph Griffins and a performance uh, guy. You're a performance guy. Are you there, Tim O'Connor? I am there. I am there. This is early. Is this any earlier than we ever recorded any of these things? I feel like I'm still on kind of wake-up mode. But, you know, I'll do my best. I'll show up the best I can for this event because I need yeah. to perform because I'm a performance coach. That's well, right. I was going to say, people listening are going, like, how, how tough can it be to wake up and just talk about golf? It's like, oh, such an arduous <laughs> task. Uh, of course, right. our that other, was going to work. Our other sponsor is Adidas, and we thank both TaylorMade and Adidas. Maybe we can talk about them a little bit at the end, how much uh, help it's been. Um, I'm uh, Humble Howard, of course, uh, humbleandfredradio.com, and uh, Tim is uh, available for uh, counseling. We'll explain how you get a hold of Tim after. But t- today we have something a little bit different, someone a bit different than our normal guest. She is the improv incubator director and co-owner of Making Box in Guelph, which is a live comedy club that also Im- provides improv education. Say hello to Haley. I should kill it. Hi, Haley. How are you? I'm so I'm just still waking up. Seven is definitely early for a comedy theater owner. Oh, I know. And uh, Tim, why don't you explain to everyone on the in the Swing Thoughts world why we would have a wonderful improv instructor with us today to talk about golf? Well, as for everything, it starts with me. And I got into doing improv a at the making box, um, gosh, I think it was last spring, and I just loved it so much. Um, I had we had a, a different instructor first level. I went to the second level with Haley, and I just found so many parallels between improv and performance in, in something like golf. And so much for me, my experience was is that I just get so thrust into my head um, in in improv and other situations that I just found it was, it was such a great area to explore. I thought I would just talk with, uh, with Haley and you and just see how improv maybe aligns with things that people do in their lives or in golf and how improv can kind of facilitate uh, maybe just getting the hell out of your own way. Haley, I think we're going to be able to uh, explain to our golf listeners that there is a real parallel uh, between you know, how one shows up as an improviser and how one shows up as a golfer. But what I'd like to start with is maybe you can explain to our golfers some of the basics of improv, and then we'll see how that applies to golf. And what I'm talking about is the exception, being present, obviously, accepting situations, not, you know, not saying no. Just give us some of the uh, the basic tenets. Yeah, absolutely. So when I'm, when I'm talking about improv, the, the things I'm always looking for for someone that's coming into a, a classroom or a workshop with me for the first time is is listening, connecting, and responding. That's all improv is for us at The Making Box, just listening, connecting, and responding that encourages trust, flexibility, and positive collaboration. 
So it starts with listening to understand each other. And, and that's the first big thing. When we think of improv, we often think it's for very silly, extroverted uh, performers to, 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 to entertain. And, and really, it's about listening well. That is the first thing we work on. That's what makes everybody so good at it. That's what brings magic into your improv is really listening. And then from there, once we can, we can listen well, we want to accept ideas because uh, yes is this magic word in improv for us. And, and it's not necessarily about agreeing with the idea, just accepting it and, and building that idea together. And that's all we're looking for in improv. It's not about being funny. It's not about uh, creating comedy immediately. It's just about listening, connecting on an idea, accepting an idea, and building it together. Well, there's a lot in there for golfers, listening, connecting, and responding. And a lot of times what Tim and I talk about with uh, people is is reacting versus responding. And a lot of times in golf, things happen, and you instantly react versus sort of being in the moment, listening to the moment, accepting it, and responding versus just freaking out and, you know, ruining the rest of your day and others. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Right, Tim? I'm yeah, yeah, absolutely. If we can let go of of perfection, because uh, perfection is almost impossible to get. Oh yeah. And all we're looking for is progress, so we can laugh at mistakes and move on from any anything that's getting in our way. We're going to get closer to perfection just by focusing on progress instead. Yeah, I would say laughing at mistakes is a huge thing in golf. <laughs> if you yeah. can do that, you can stay on a level. But one of the things that I uh, really found in improv is that, like from my own experience, was that when you would set up what you call games, that's how mm -hmm. we kind of work through different, shall we say, exercises in improv and what we call games. And as soon as you or Jay, the, my in-level one instructor, would start to talk about a game I would immediately go into my head and I would start devising what I was going to say what I was going to do and I wouldn't be listening mm -hmm. and that's and 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 also because of my own default to try and do things right and be Mr. Perfect a lot of times I wouldn't listen to say my partner in my little scene or something Anyways, the point I'm getting to is that when we're not listening and we're thinking we're disconnected, we're disconnected from our body, disconnected from other people, is that, I don't know, how, how, how do you think that experience aligns with yours? Well, like I'm, I've definitely had that experience of as soon as I stop listening and start focusing on what my plan is supposed to be, um, and then when I try to enact it on stage it, it never happens uh whatever i've decided to do whatever i think the right answer is as soon as i try to do it and i'm starting to work with somebody else whatever i've got going on in my head is never going to happen with what's there going on in their head especially since we can't we don't talk about it in advance we're discovering it in the moment so i once i figured out to let that stuff go I started having more fun. I'm, I'm a big planner too. Uh, I was very guilty of, okay, what's the problem on this, in this scene? How do I fix it? What can I do? It's totally my responsibility. Uh, and that was a lot of pressure and I wasn't having fun with it and my scenes kind of sucked. <laughs> uh, and once I let go of that pressure and just started listening to what was happening and, and only adding small things, re reactionary things in the moment, it was way more fun and my scenes were a hundred times better. It takes you out of the moment, doesn't it, when you're thinking? 
Yeah. Well, and that's let me let me see if I can, you know, help to bridge the gap between what what Haley and, and Tim are talking about and how it might apply to golf, because having been a performer at a fairly you know decent level and a golfer at a decent level, there's so many analogous things, which is. When you start a round of golf, you've got this plan and you hope, you know, you're planning to play well. And when it's, you know, inevitably the slings and arrows of the game pop up, what happens to people is they can't accept that moment. They're still locked in a paradigm that they devised on the way to the golf course and it's not happening. And one of the things people don't do is they don't respond. They don't sort of go, okay, well, this is happening now. We know how can I you know, uh, devise a way out of it that allows me to continue playing. Whereas most of us, and this is what I'm getting at, in improv, it's all about yes and. Meaning, you know, for you people who have never played any improv games, someone suggests something to you, you say yes and you move it forward. In golf, what we do is yes but. <laughs> and what, that, yeah. what I mean by that, Haley, is something will happen, we'll go, yes, that's happened, but what about me? What? <laughs> <laughs> but, but why did this happen? I used to say, why does golf hate me? Oh, yeah. And that's yes um, budding. Yeah. <laughs> I maybe golfed twice, and I think I would have been yes budding as well. It's the nature uh, of the game. Yes. Oh, yeah. So if we can if we can just put that critic on hold for a minute, <laughs> like evaluate after the game, just go through it, have fun, and then talk about your mistakes afterwards. So you can enjoy it a little bit more. I got to I got to golf once at an amazing course in Bermuda. This like beautiful, world class golf course. It was me and two other improvisers, uh, and watching two improvisers who are really good golfers uh, make mistakes and then like laugh and figure it out. Um, they still had a great game, and but everyone was just that we were golfing with was so impressed with their attitude. It was easy to play with them. We got to go back again for free, which is the best. I got to just look at the ocean while they all go. But, but isn't that the uh, the goal of a great improv uh, situation? Is that you can have fun, make mistakes. Things aren't perfect, but in yeah. the end, in the end, everybody, including the audience, enjoys it. Whereas golfers, yeah. Tim, sometimes we forget that we're actually there to have fun. Well, absolutely. The it's funny that um, mistakes on a series are like that's where you learn. But golfers hate to make mistakes because oh, I was I was even par until eight, <laughs> and right. then I double bogeyed, and oh my god! But one of the things that I've experienced uh, in Haley's um, improv, and actually through you as well, and you talking about doing uh, your stand-up stuff, often the mistakes—that's where the gold is. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, when you make mistakes, that's what actually when it's actually funnier, and people connect with you more on on a human level from a performance standpoint. But I also think that, that what we do is we tend to have this aversion. Well, I know I do. And, an aversion and golfers are, golfer, you, what Tim just said, Haley is so true. Golfers have this sort of subreddit running underneath them all the time, which is if I make, <laughs> if I make a mistake, then I'm a bad person. So I don't want to uh, make any mistakes. Right. Or, or my friends will see what a bad person I really am. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. I would I would think you'd be a bad person if you never made a mistake. That would be off-putting to me. Yes, It'd exactly. be annoying. Um, yeah, let, let's yeah. talk about this, Haley, because I, I think this is an interesting uh, thread, if you will, where, you know, it's one thing to train 
everyday people in the art of improv, and I think it's uh, uh, valuable, especially. And you know, by the way, if you're listening, the uh, the making box in Guelph, it's it's not just for you know people that are looking to learn to perform. It's for people. It's for team building. It's for skill building. It's it's business. for business exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I wish I could remember where that was going. Uh, <laughs> I think what you're saying, Howard, is that. Oh, I know what I was um, going to say. Yeah. I, a lot of people think that, just as Haley was saying earlier, it's for a bunch of extroverted people who want to stand up at parties or, you know, possible going to stand up. I think it's more of a. It does a number of things, but it frees people up. I think in many ways. Yeah, it's like a and, moving and, meditation. Yeah, and I think that that. I mean, for golfers, uh, freeing up, you know, stop. You know, stop trying to be like Mr. Per- Perfect and everything. That's when things you can start to experience some more flow. So, Haley, I know what I was going to ask you. So, when you're when you're training, you know, and whether it's team building or people that are interested in improv, it's one thing to do it in class on a Saturday afternoon. If you after a few weeks, it's a safe space, and pretty soon you're comfortable with your peers, much like mm-hmm. your regular Saturday morning game in golf. Mm-hmm. What do you want to? What What do you say to people, Haley, as the stakes increase? <clears throat> pardon me, because as improvisers, performers, as golfers, when we get out of our comfort zone, the club, the club golf, and then you go to a tournament, all of a sudden, people, the, 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 it means more. Now, and a lot of times, that's when they reach, we reach our point of not being able to respond. Is it similar? Have you seen that in, in improvisers? They get to the main stage of Second City, and all of a sudden, they start to uh, give it more. They, they, it takes them a while to adapt. Well... And in my experience with with high high pressure improv situations, like like I, I worked with, with at Second City for for about a decade and, and understudied a couple of main stage, and so felt the stress of that intense and amazing job, and uh, the <clears throat> the pressure to do a good job, and and was so high because I was like, if I if I mess this up, I will maybe I'll be fired. The right. there will be two hundred people that will hate me, um, and they paid tickets, to, to, and I'm supposed to make them laugh. And if I don't do that, I failed. Uh, and it, it got to me for a while, and then um, my I had a really wonderful friend in the cast, Christopher Bowman, who's now performing at at Shaw Festival. Nice. Uh, and uh, he was right there with me, and then. We we sat down. We were we were having margaritas, and he he went. When did this stop being fun? This used to be our favorite thing, right? Uh, we realized it was we were just so in our heads about making sure that we were doing our job well. That uh, what was a hobby and like a point of joy for us was work, and uh, I never wanted to be that again. So I had to actively decide to to have fun to, to do this uh, as a job, but to do, do it because I loved it and to, to fail. And then I had, I intentionally did an improv set where I'm like, I'm just going to make a bunch of mistakes <laughs> uh, and see what happens. And I did it and it wasn't a great set and I made a bunch of mistakes, but I didn't die. Right. I didn't die and it was fine. And, and I had my job and it was fine. Uh, and then it was easier. So, what I would say to everybody that is is first of all, you improvise every day, whether you like it or not. If you are if you've existed for twenty four hours, you're already doing it. So trust that you have all of this knowledge and wisdom within you and that you can improvise because you you are always. Right. Uh, 
Uh, and then, Some people call that lying, Haley, but you can call it improvising. <laughs> but yeah, make that one mistake, fail once, and realize you're not dead. Hey, uh, what do you say about that, Timmy? Well, I wanted to make I wanted to make the connection, like Howard, to to performing on on our podcast. We've talked about the fact that you know when you do uh, stand up comedy, um, it's much like performing in golf. Is that um, well, just let me ask you, where do you see the parallels uh, bridging off what Haley was saying about making mistakes and improvising? Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I had a fairly high stakes situation last Saturday night, Haley. I was uh, showcasing at Yuck Yucks. All the uh, festival bookers were there just for laughs in yeah. Montreal. Uh, Halifax, Winnipeg, Tim, it, cameras. The show was sold out. Everyone's doing seven minutes. But as I was waiting to go on, uh, I was actually thinking more about my experience as a golfer, which is it's like being at the first tee of a tournament. I'm about to be introduced. And as the uh, and I was pretty nervous. And um, I thought to myself, OK, uh, you've got seven minutes. The two things I said to myself as I was being introduced was one, this isn't about you, because whenever you make it about you, meaning that you're trying to remember it word for word, I go, this isn't about you. I'm now going to try and make them laugh. And right. uh, try and forget about the showcase. But so number one, it's not about you. And number two, try and have some fun because it's supposed to be fun. And it's funny because they were taping it. They were videotaping it that night. And I watched it back. And for the first 45 seconds, I look like I'm a I look like I haven't taken a good shit in about a week. <laughs> I had this look in my face and you could see it. I had this look in my face like. I'm trying to kind of get going, but at about the 45 second to a minute mark, my face relaxes, and you, I, I could see the moment, I could feel it, where I was in that room, and for the rest of it, I just killed it. But the first, so, it's not like I did badly, but the first 45 seconds, I wasn't there. I was just trying to, I was a little freaked out by it. So at the 45 second mark, had you stopped trying? Had well, you stopped trying to adhere to, say, a game plan of doing it right? It, it, it took, uh, yes. The answer is yes, but in this case, it wasn't that I was trying so hard the first 45 seconds. Sometimes it takes a while to kind of settle into the moment, but right. I could feel it. But but that was my, my, my point is, as I was walking up, my intention was things I could control. I can have fun doing this. And I can and I can be outside because when I and I know the material well enough, and as Haley's, uh, I'm sure you've experienced this. Yes, you have the material when you're doing the show, but it's also am I open to something to happen while I'm there? And I was. I'd like to ask both. I, I will ask uh, Haley ask and then How, yeah, Haley and then Howard to comment. What is the you, you talked about feeling, Haley? What is the what? role does feeling particularly say what's going on in your body how does that affect improv and and howard how does that do you think that affects say being you know uh, an improv uh sorry a uh, a stand-up comedian but also you know your experience say in tournaments as a tournament golfer so i'll go with Haley first sure so feeling and and getting into your body with improv um one thing that that i find i struggle with and and almost every improviser I've ever or taught or performed with is, is getting up in your head and getting caught in, in a spin of, of thinking too much. Um, and, and that's usually a symptom of, of not feeling and not connecting. So when we start to focus on like, how do I feel in this moment? What, how does, how does that offer make me feel? How do, how do I emotionally react to this and, and put that physicality that physically 
um, on on stage, it can pull you out of your head and and, and get you to to focus on on feeling and and physical action rather than what's the best choice right now, which can be so beneficial to stop finding the right answer and just react with how you feel. It can make it easier. Absolutely, and I think you know I'll, I'll just say briefly, Tim, that there's so many things of so many sort of the basics of improv that can apply to being any kind of golfer, whether it's, you know, playing a big tournament or just playing with your buddies. And that is the idea that today you're going to accept whatever golf gives you. And we've talked about this for three years now, that there will be moments in every round that you can choose. You can, you can make a mental choice as to how to react to whatever's, whatever stimuli you've just been given. But I can tell you being introduced last Saturday night and being introduced on the first tee of the uh, Canadian Mid-Am feel very similar. You know, you're, you're trembling a little bit. Your body is, you know, you, you can feel the adrenaline. And then you just have to take a breath, settle down, and hit the shot. Same with stand-up. At some point, you know, there was a, you know, the lights come down and the, the audience is buzzing. And then you just, you, you just know that once, the, once this show starts, I'm in it. So I might as well be here for it. You know, so right, there's well, no turning back. So the connection what I make to that is that so I do some public speaking and and sometimes it's just like, okay, um, it's like, all right, I've started talking now. That's right. (laughs) And Uh, it's just going. Might as well go. Yeah. But the connection what I make and part of my experience in golf and in improv, it's almost like my body and you know my larynx and whatnot are connected and they know what to do. If I just kind of put my faith into that and just let it free wheel it's amazing the the gold that can kind of flow as opposed to thinking it through does it pass through this filter is this going to be right you know am i gonna am i gonna be funny and all that i just find um it's basically having faith in my body so Haley, how does i don't know how do you respond to that oh i mean Having faith in yourself and in your body is, is so is so it's so hard, but so valuable. Um, I'm just thinking about about. Um, sorry, I was just visualizing both of you doing stand up while golfing, and it, it distracted me a little bit thinking about that <laughs> happening at the first tee. Um, but uh, I I think. I'm sorry. I'm so wrapped up in that visual right now. I can't even well, think let, of Let me jump in. You know, here's the thing. Um, we, what, what, let, let's just forget it's golf or, or stand-up or, or improv. Mm-hmm. In, in any stressful situation, a lot of times what happens to us as human beings is we just can't get out of, as Tim would say, get out of our own way enough to be in the moment. Whether it's at a party or you're with friends, sometimes we just devolve into this story that we're telling ourselves about the situation. And what I love about improv and improv training is that it basically just tells you you know what you're fine you'll be fine and you and you'll serve the scene as they say as long as you are there listening responding and connecting Haley yes um thank you so much for uh Holding Tim's hand through this very uh, stressful process. <laughs> when well, it's Tim, been seven weeks. It's been so fun. When Tim told me he was taking improv, I'd be like, good for you, Tim. Good oh, yeah. You, you can come see Tim's show on Saturday. Are you Are you doing a, uh, a showcase? Uh, your yes. showcase. I love that about you. You know what? Yes. I wasn't doing a, a half hour of uh, 
shitty stand-up in Oshawa, I would definitely be there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a lot of fun. We got a a, a really great group. Uh, we've got all our games organized. Uh, I've already watched uh, the four Yorkshire men again, Haley, just to. See, I'm doing my planning perfection thing. Right on. <laughs> yeah, well, Haley. You know structure and then and then improvise within it. That's always okay. Yeah. If you want to uh, do what Tim's done and open yourself up to a different experience, it's the Making Box in Guelph. Uh, Haley Kellett is the uh, Improv Incubator Director and Co-Owner. How do people uh, get a hold of you? And, uh, you know, uh, just, can we can we tell people what a class costs? Yeah, definitely. I mean, everything you need is on the website, uh, and you can peruse it and find different classes you want, whether it's in Guelph or in Kitchener. Uh, and you can also just reach me. I'll send them everything they need. You can you can call me at one eight hundred nine three zero nine eight nine two. And what's the website? Makingbox.com? Makingbox.ca. dot ca. Yes, very Canadian. Right. Uh, and then uh, you can email me if you'd like it, Haley, H-A-Y-L-E-Y, at themakingbox.ca. All right, Haley, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Haley. We'll see you uh, tomorrow night. Absolutely. Very exciting stuff with Timmy. All right, Haley, take care. Take care. Okay, now we're going to see if Haley hangs up on her own. Because this, oh. There she goes. So it's just you and me now. Yeah. I'm listening, man. Yeah. I'm happy for you. That's really good. Um, my friend Rachel, girlfriend Rachel, just took a uh, storytelling course at Second City. And I oh, said, cool. And, you know, it's a similar thing. It's like an eight or ten week course. And I just said to her, you know, I, I love it when anybody puts themselves in a situation that's a little uncomfortable. Because as I was explaining to my friend Dan on the way to the showcase last Saturday night, I don't know why I keep doing this, but there's something about putting yourself, I, I say in harm's way, but it's not really, uh, but you know what I mean? Putting yourself out there. Taking you know, a risk. <clears throat> taking a risk. There's something about that that feeds the soul in a way, and I don't mean to be too esoteric, which is why there's a real satisfaction, I find, playing well in golf under pressure because... You know, it, it tests your ability to respond and react in the moment, I think. Oh, absolutely. I think that's part of, um, you know, wanting to achieve a sense of, say, mastery, which sounds all high and mighty. But, you know, we're all looking for more, you know, that, that moment. And I think testing ourselves in various ways is, is a way that we do that. And it's really fun. It's like, it's like Haley would said, as she said, you know, we put ourselves in situations and you're like, Wow, I didn't die, <laughs> and I actually feel, uh, it, having taken that risk and survived it, it actually feels pretty damn good. Right. And I want some more of that, and and it's very invigorating. Well, you know, it's interesting you put it that way because we we can now start bridging the gap back to golf. There is a real sense, and and you've talked about it. I've talked about it. Carl has. There's a real, you know, when whenever these uh, golf site guys uh, talk about. You know, the fight or flight mechanism in our body, the thing that produces cortisol, which is the stress drug. Where that comes from, the fight or flight in golf is, and we've all experienced this, where you get that electrical charge and, you, and you're spiraling into a triple or a, you know, a quad on a hole, and it right. all seems to go fast. What that is, is your body is, is being, it's a surge of adrenaline and, and that 
that fight or flight kicks in because part of your our DNA as human beings is we want to avoid death. Now right. in golf, it's not any, it's not real death, but your body doesn't know the difference. Your brain has made your body feel like this is life or death, and no, it's not. It's just a quad on a uh, par four. Yeah, so many golfers have their have a hard time getting their head around that. They go, "No, it's not. I'm just I just don't want to make a double bogey." Right. No, you're in the same. Your brain is responding in the same way than you were like a, you know a knuckle dragging mouth breather, and I guess some people are still that way. But <laughs> um, the the um, it, you're basically your your brain is constructed to keep you alive and survive, and so you're so even though. So basically, it's using this antiquated wiring. We're trying to apply it to, you know, being, uh, you know, a salesperson, being a golfer, whatever. And so, yeah, just like you said, this cortisol goes thrusting through, through your body, so that you're ready to fight and, f you know, and flee the situation. And it doesn't help you much when you're trying to uh, get on the next tee after making the quad. And you know, stand up is a very fragile thing and i don't mean that well the, the people who do it are fragile trust me but <laughs> what i mean by that is if the lights aren't and this is going to be this is going to sound weird but you, you know there is the reason that comedy clubs or concerts are dark audiences with a spotlight <clears throat> on the stage there's a real way to set up a room and if it's set up incorrectly if the sound's no good if they're sitting uh, in a, in a circular if they're sitting around tables versus sitting in chairs there's a lot of things that go into making the room perfect so i can tell you and it's like golf some days you get out there and the, you know it's really windy I'm, I'm, let me just finish the analogy in and in those cases when the room's not set up correctly like last Friday night, I had a gig at a conference center. And myself and the two other comedians, all of us did poorly. But these were people basically sitting in a conference room. They just had a huge meal. There was no one to introduce me. The guy that starts, he, the man running the room said, oh, I want you to start by giving away some raffle prizes. Like, that's not the optimum way to start a stand-up show. <laughs> it's like right. I, I sent a text to my girlfriend after the show. She went, how did it go? I said, well, I started by giving away raffle prizes, and it got worse. <laughs> exactly. And then next night, so, but my point is, I've learned through years of doing this that you look in the situation, you go, well, this is, this is the par for this course. Right. The next night, it was a comedy club, packed audience, Saturday night, an MC, everything was right for comedy. And it was like playing a, a very easy course that day. So sometimes as golfers, we don't adjust our. What's a, what's a, you know, we don't adjust what's reasonable. Like if you go out on a fall day like today and it's gusting 40, well, the par might be 80. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. That's, it's that was, by the way, thank you for listening to that longest analogy ever, but it, but there's a lot in there that's real people. <laughs> that, that, that analogy was tied up with gold lace. It was perfect. Thank you. There you go. Um, yeah. I love how you brought that into golf and that so many golfers, I, I, experienced this obviously with my university golf team we're playing the oua championships and it's cold <laughs> it's windy and raining at times and players are still caught up in like oh i'm you know i'm three over after you know 10 holes well that that's actually fabulous <laughs> you know instead of being under par or something like that is it's and again it brings us back to how do we respond and rather than being 
kind of swept away with this reactions of what we think should be and what is not. And what I find that's interesting about improv, some people may have the idea it's all just about, you know, say the first thing that comes in your head and you just let it free flow and it kind of be crazy. But it's actually not. You still have to work within this construct. And so like the like you said kind of the yes and is the foundation if you will of a lot of improv but you also have to be aware that with your scene partner you have to set them up so they have something to work from because if you just go like okay i'm gonna say the first absolutely silly thing that comes into my head you might not give that person anything to work with you're not serving the scene right and that's a phrase that comes up a lot. If you're just, you know, making a nonsense remark, that might be cute. And you're actually following the rules, but you're not serving the scene. A very smart guy that I love said to me a few years ago, uh, why don't you go out and just try not, you know, try and be a good partner with your with your foursome. And when you told me that, I was like, what? <laughs> what? There's somebody else in my group? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize I was playing with anyone. I thought they were just there to watch me shoot under par every time. But, you know, I wasn't serving the group, the pod known as my foursome. And sometimes, and yeah, I was obeying the rules. I was good etiquette and I was, you know, maybe I was saying nice shot, but I really wasn't there. I wasn't serving everybody. And sometimes right. we find ourselves in service of others. It actually uh, heals our heals us. Yeah, it's kind of like we work within this this foundation, a, a, a construct. I guess is the word I'm coming up with. And then once we're once we're in that space, then things can really flow in a, in a nice way. And I think it's the same within golf. It, it's is that you know start with like this intention. I think if you if if get on and I used to do this constantly. Uh, I'd get on the first team. Today's you know today I'm gonna say break eighty. You know, it's kind of like a a higher single digit player you know that's always kind of the thing today i'm gonna break 80 and you know make the turn in six over oh my god mm-hmm. <laughs> whereas if the intention is say have a good time uh what am i gonna learn about myself today just enjoy the 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 beauty of the golf course and the, and the environment well from that intention then i can respond in much better ways and just golf then i can achieve that sense of flow much easier than being in this place of oh i'm not performing at this level that i believe i should be well and that's the thing you know in in when you're on stage and uh, i'm i would you know it's funny i would have loved to have seen you do uh your showcase uh performance but i actually am doing a show in oshawa tomorrow night in the schwa in the schwa um I want to hang on, hang on to that thought. I want to connect to something. I remember you like it's connecting. I remember you saying it was. I thought it was really, really interesting. Is that if you went out, say, with the, the intention, if you will, you've got all these jokes and you've got the order and it's, this is going to follow this, follow this. That in discussing this with you, you said you weren't as connected to your audience and you weren't able to say get into that flow and say respond to something that happened in the audience, you see, say, a, a father and daughter or something, and you That's can work right. that. So to me, there's still a lot, there's so many interesting parallels with improv and stand-up and golf, is that it's, it's so much of it has to do with connection and being able to just go with flow, respond in a way, as opposed to pass it through some kind of filter or adhere to a plan. What say you? 
Well, for the second time in this show, I've completely uh, lost my train of thought, but that's fine. I'm old and I'm tired, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I would just tell you the last couple of days I've done a lot of driving around the city because my one daughter had her wisdom teeth out. My other daughter sprained her ankle so bad we had to take her to a clinic. And my girlfriend uh, needed me to pick her up from a procedure. Anyway, okay, so um, you want me to revise no, that fine. question at you again, but much no, shorter? I got it. I got it. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say, when I'm... Whether you're trying to, you know, shoot your best round or you're trying to win a tournament or you're trying to do well, you know, the thing about stand-up that's similar for me to golf is that it's a very stark, instant, um, very sharp at times barometer of how you're doing. And it's like one of the hardest lessons that I think any golfer can learn is certainly for myself – And it was one of our tour pros. I can't remember his name, but I'll tell you the story. You'll remember who it was. He said, the best, the best golfers don't know how they're doing. You know, the, it was Ken um, Tarling. Ken Tarling. Ken Tarling told me, he said, you know, I don't know whether I'm five under or three. And I'm like, well, I don't really buy into that. But in stand up or improv, when you're in front of people, you know how you're doing second to second. So it's a very, um, real uh, way to test your ability to stay in the moment. And what I used to do, now to answer your question, is I would like, oh, I've got 10 minutes and I've got to remember it exactly and i got to do it word for word. And Saturday night, under the most pressure I've been under since I came back to doing stand-up a couple of years ago, I was literally very, I'll send you the video, I'm literally cool. very loose once I got used to the environment. And maybe it wasn't 45 seconds, maybe it was 15 seconds, but I, I could do, you can just see where my body relaxes. And golf teaches us that, that, you know, you are going to have in every round of golf some things that are good, bad, unplanned. And in the, if you're overriding, your overarching reason to be there is to have fun and learn and all that stuff, then you can have a, a, a triple bogey and birdie the next hole because you're not tied to that number. And that's, a, I think, of all the things we've passed on to people, including myself, that's the hardest lesson to learn. But it's the best one. Right. Well, it's like, as we were saying earlier with Haley, in when we make mistakes, that's a lot where the gold is, is how do you respond? That's and right. we've talked about before, sometimes the most satisfying moment on a, on a golf course is you made, say, you know, a 10-footer for bogey. You know, it could have really gotten away from you, uh, but you had made a mistake somewhere. Otherwise, you wouldn't be putting for a bogey. But that ability to rise above it, not say get caught in the story or the drama, and that that can and that can turn around around when you have that type of stuff. I'll tell you, I've seen headliners like pretty famous people come out, and in the first five to seven minutes not really grab the audience and you can kind of see them they're up there and and they're trying to figure something out and then they they pull it out and then they have an amazing set like a golfer starting off you know three straight bogeys or a double a bogey and a triple because what we know from being golfers is oftentimes if we start off poorly that's the end of the day and we've talked about this where we're done i'm done where exactly oh here we go again and uh, and i think uh, for me as a golfer my biggest growth came from being able to be five over after four and still, you know, continuing to play the game that day. And that's what I think, what I wanted to say about professional golfers. Yes, they hit it amazing. And yes, they're way better at everything of the skill that 
golf asks from us. But what they're really good at is that. They're really, what makes them professional is a lifetime of knowing you can make a double bogey and birdie the next hole. You know, there was a kid, I can't remember, Bo Hosberger or whatever, what's his name? Hostler, Bo Hostler. Remember that tournament in the summer he started off, hit three off the first tee? Remember we had talked about this? He like, I don't remember it exactly, he, he but both well, he hit OB at three, three. He was hitting uh, one, three, five off the first tee of a, oh and he my. was in one of the last groups. And I rem- remember thinking, I want because I had to stop watching it. And he ended up shooting something in the mid seventies. But you know, we to see a professional do that and then be professional about the next hole. The last thing I'll tell you is one of the things I've noticed recently about PGA Tour players is they take more time on long par putts and long bogey putts than we do. They have a long putt. They'll hit it eight feet by. And what we would do is, you know, we've, we've already taken our turn for the 35-footer, and now we've got to hurry up for the eight-footer. But the fact is, if that eight-footer was something you had chipped up to and was now looking to save your par, you would take the same amount of time. But we don't do that because as amateurs, we're self-conscious. Self-conscious that we're going to be judged, that we're taking too much time. You've already been doing all this, and all that stuff, and we don't the take as much of thinking. Time. We d- and we don't take as much time on those par and bogey saving moments. That's what right. I want to say. Cool. Well, I want to just maybe deviate off the main deviate. road we've, we've established here. But um, so last Saturday was my first opportunity to put into practice some of what we talked with. Carl Morris about from his book The Lost Art of Putting. Great book. And oh, absolutely, great book. Um, so I start. So my intention for the round was to one of the intentions was to try out this business of reading a putt, doing my main read from a putt from halfway up the low side. Low side. So if I had a twenty footer, just move up about ten feet, do that crouch thing, and look at it. And my goodness, Howard, I putted like a freaking demon. And I found that uh, a couple things. Pace was a lot easier because as as Carl was saying, if you look at it from behind the ball as we typically do, your eyes kind of miss those first two, three feet of the putt. Mm -hmm. And then what else it did was just from that perspective, it just seemed to – I could just see the lay of the land and the putt much easier than behind. And um, and it wasn't like it, it made me think more. I think it actually made me think less. And I would just get up and the, there's, okay, there's the line, you know, kind of what does this ball need to do, start here. And, wow, I putted great. You know, there's the thing about, um, again, watching professionals when they have a 30-foot putt. Sometimes, in order to make it in their and in their intention of making those putts, they hit them three and four feet by, as we all do. But for some reason, they get they get up to that four footer and they and they make those putts because good players sometimes hit it three and four feet by. Whereas I think what what I went through and a lot of amateurs go through is they think you're supposed to hit a forty footer stone dead. Right, And if you don't, now you've got anxiety around. Now I have a four-foot putt. Well, guess what? That's what's supposed to happen. It's, it's, and what Carl taught me from reading the book uh, is that sometimes good players three-putt. And you have to be willing to accept that in order to make some longer putts. Um, 
there's so much in that book, whether it's proper green reading or the idea that, you know, it's okay to miss some putts. Whereas I think what I got into, and a lot of golfers do, is every time I'd missed a putt, it, re- it gave me another mark on my story of being a bad putter. Right. So that's the same as in, I got to think that's the same in performing and stand up or improv or giving a speech or something is that you're not expected to knock it out of the park all the time. On every and actually, line, yeah. And you're perfect. And, and it's like you're perfect in your imperfection, which is a lovely, you know, it, it's actually kind of used so often it's a cliche. But again, that's where I think the gold is, is how do we respond to that stuff? Um, I know you've said before that sometimes the best laughs you've ever got is when you flubbed a joke oh, yeah. and said, let's try this again. Did the whole thing again. And, and the audience takes loved you, it. Yeah, and it takes you out of this thinking of, of oh, I've screwed up. I'm not perfect. You know, I didn't make, you know, the, I didn't make, you know, I lagged it up and it finished five feet short. Oh, I must be deficient in my ability to be a lag putter. Yeah. And, and it's none of that. It just... For some reason, it didn't cozy up to the hole for tap-in. And you didn't – this joke, you didn't knock out of the park. And I think that when we can kind of just allow ourselves to be human, that's when that's when the great stuff happens. I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, you know, um, my uh, I sent that tape of my audition last week to my older brother. And, and to be honest with you, I was very – you know, I was happy when it was over, but having then watching it, I got into my, you know, perfectionist mode. But my brother basically just – said, you know, you did really well. You looked like you were having fun. And, you know, it was great. And I thought, well, that not that nice to hear from somebody else? Because I, I was now in the, the critical mode of it. Right. When, when really, I, I, I should just celebrate the fact that I did it. It was fun. I, I made people laugh, and that's all that matters. I wasn't perfect, but you have to be careful, especially when it comes to golf. Of getting, of trying to be perfect, getting in the way of trying to have uh, a, an authentic time, right? And and to me, uh, like a lot of people talk about, say he would, you know, he or she was in the zone, as if the zone was something that the golf guys decided. You know what? Howard hasn't been in the zone for a while, so we'll <laughs> throw right. some zone. We'll throw some zone dust on him for the back nine <laughs> at Glencairn. That's right. But my, what I think what we're alluding to to some degree at least i'm gonna make the illusion whatever that we can actually create zone experiences by being open to the fact that we're going to make mistakes that we're not going to be perfect and that if we kind of set our intentions we can allow this flow to happen and that's when things can seem easy and that's again that's when the magic happens it's it's not for when we're trying to you know, adhere to a script or, or do everything absolutely perfectly. It's just kind of like, you know what? We're just going to let this thing happen and see what see what transpires. And a lot of great stuff can happen that way. Well, the audience can also smell that too. Right. You know, and we can see it as golfers when we're playing with somebody that seems to have, be having an easier day of it than us. Uh, I, I promise you that they're feeling you know, a lightness or a whatever you want to call it. Like I, I've had a few opportunities this summer where I felt like really whatever that zone thing is, I felt it and how you get into it is not by trying harder. Ironically, it's right. by trying less. Absolutely. And you know, in, in terms of like, I'm doing more and more public speaking and I used to be aware that sometimes I would be up there and I'd be like, you know, Ernest Tim trying to 
do this so correctly. And I could see kind of like the looks on the people's face, uh, their faces looking at me like, oh my God, is he, is he going <laughs> to... Is he going to explode or self-immolate or just kind of like just kind of burst because he's trying so this hard? Poor old man. No, exactly. But now uh, it's more like you know. Yes, I got m- way more reps in, and you know I don't have the nervousness that I used to. But it's the same thing in golf. It's like, all right, let's see what happens and let's see what shows up. And I just find when I have that attitude. Uh, Everything is easier. You know, it doesn't mean I have, you know, I do my best to prepare the same way I prepare for a round of golf as for giving a talk or whatever. But then it's just, okay, we just stand up on the first tee and take a swing and see what happens. Um, Let's talk. uh, I I agree with everything and I don't have any other words for agreement. Uh, Let's before we finish off today. And uh, by the way, we're coming back in a couple weeks. Uh, Tell everyone that guest that we've lined up. I think it's very interesting. Oh, Ed Coughlin. Uh, Ed is a uh, he's a Ph.D. type. So uh, he, he got the cred and everything. He works with athletes a lot around training and it, it, there's parts of it that he, one facet he calls adaptive practice and why um, I think this is so fitting for golf is is that most golfers practice in ways that are absolutely useless you know try and hit 20 perfect seven irons off a perfect lie that doesn't happen in golf in when you're playing the game and what Ed does is he works with athletes of all types in setting up how do you practice so that you feel the stress of performance and the sense of consequence of what you're doing so that you start to how you practice this and then you can make it real once you're out there in the field actually performing so uh excited to have uh ed on the show i can't wait and uh the guy that uh, was helping or has helped francesco molinari the last two or three years one of the people on his team is a guy named dave allred who i'm sure uh ed knows or knows of and it's the pressure principle another great book if you're looking for some stuff to read this winter i recommend the pressure principle and the lost art of putting and one of the things i think you know i haven't worked on my golf game in the winter for a couple years and i think i've well, I am going. I'm going to work on it this winter because of my uh, two-year goals that I've set for myself, and one of them is to so that come next spring in the tournament season when it starts, I want to be, I want to be where I am now and beyond, so that I can get started competitively. Now, so I'm going to work on my game in the winter, and I was talking to our friend Charles Fitzsimmons yesterday, who's about to be. Yes. Who's about to become, he's uh, wrapping up his uh, thesis in sports psychology. And the next time we have him on the show in the spring, it'll be Dr. Charlie. Anyway, right. I said to him, because I knew we were going to do the show, and I wanted to finish the last 10 minutes and throw this at Tim, because we often talk about the sort of competing forces of golf, skill acquisition versus mental acuity and facility around the game. And what would you say to the idea that maybe the winter is the perfect time to work on the block practice, the building of your golf swing, because there's no consequence of hitting it into a net? That's a perfect time to kind of build some functional structure things. And then when you take the, the game to the golf course in the spring, you don't have to be thinking about golfing, golfing swing all the time. What do you think of that? 
Right. Well, if you are if you're working on say golf swing and there's something that you really want to change, you know, in your action, uh, it is so hard to make those changes in the season right. because under the stress of whether it's a tournament or just trying to perform to your own expectations, uh, under stress or you're tired, you revert back to your old ways. Absolutely. So, so if you want to start, you know, say changing. You know, for sake of example, I used to have a, quite an inside takeaway um, from my backswing. My my wrist would just start to roll roll inward, and I took care of that working with uh, Sean Casey at the Club Link Academy. That was like, gosh, what four years ago? Mm-hmm. And we did we started doing that work in I think it was uh, January, and by the time the season came, I I worked on that. I got enough reps in that I had integrated it. And it made it rather than having to fo- focus on it consciously, I'd made it more unconscious. So, through the winter is that time in which you can start to really, you know, take your eye off of you know off results, score and results exactly. And that's and again, it's still that fun- that focusing on process part that we harp on ad infinitum. Well, I think that's a nice place to uh, leave it off. Um, I'm going to uh, try and get some uh, fall golf in today. Uh, oh, nice, nice. I played a couple days ago with uh, my friend Paul Henrik and uh, Craig Watkins, and we played with Paul's father, who in you know the Toronto area, John Henrik, uh, is a legend. He's 88 years old. That's awesome. And he was, has been a professional golfer since the early 50s. Had Actually, for a while, in the 50s, had one of the original PGA Tour cards. That's uh, so neat. I got to tell but- you. Well, I got some. We I, we were playing the other day, and I said to my friend Craig, "I said get some video of this because at eighty eight, Tim pound for pound, he weighs about ninety pounds. <laughs> pardon me, and he hit one drive one hundred and eighty yards. And I said that's the longest guy we know. He's for pound yards for per pound. pounds. Yeah, <clears throat> but it's something else to see. And it was a really an enjoyable fall day where there was no consequence except watching this eighty eight year old man make birdies and pars." It was crazy. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. And what's interesting is that this week there was um, a study released, I think, from England that showed that golf really is – if you're looking for for a healthy um, activity, golf is one of the best, particularly, obviously, if you walk. But in terms of, like, giving, you know, um, people uh, fresh air – uh, you know, it's not vigorous exercise. You don't, you know, you don't get your your heart rate up um, you know, unless you're going up the big hills in Blue <laughs> well, Springs. I was going to say, but, I've, I've thrown some clubs that got my heart rate up pretty good. Yeah, and I've hit some uh, some golf shots that got. Yeah, exactly. Whoops. But no, but it, in all facets, you know, it's a social game. Uh, you're getting fresh air. You're, you know, you're getting a moderate amount of good physical activity. It, golf is, you know, so it's a great, great sport. Uh, you know, for people, uh, particularly in their um, in their golden years, because they get to hang out together and have a good time, and it keeps it's something to get up for. So, for particularly for older people, including even you and I, that's right. We're now older people. That's right. So <laughs> that's a plug for what how uh, golf is so healthy, as it opposed is. to being where people with bad taste in clothing mainly hang you out. can uh you can stream uh the uh, brand new humble and fred show now appearing on uh canada's uh comedy superstation funny 820 and the iHeartRadio radio app as well as humble and fred radio.com 
Uh, Tim O'Connor is a prolific uh, spewer of golf content and has a uh, a, a, a fine ezine ezine and a spewer. Uh, a, a spe- you're a spewer. I, I thought it was maybe a spewer of tee shots. I didn't know it was a spewer of. Any, any degree of wisdom, but O'Connor we'll just go with I'm yes ending this. I'm yes ending right. this. O'ConnorGolf.ca, and uh, where else do people uh, connect with you, sir? Mainly that. All right. OconnorGolf.ca. Right. And... Thanks again to TaylorMade for the season, and uh, I thought maybe uh, we would reach out to our friend Cameron. And in the next, uh, maybe on the Ed show, we can just do a quick thing with Cameron at the end to thank him. And uh, who's our friend at uh, Adidas? Leslie Hawkins. Right. She's, I think she carries the grand title of GM of Adidas Canada. And, you know, we talked about getting her on the show. and uh, We should. And we, well, we will. Let's do that. All right, everybody? Because uh, mommy and daddy have bills to pay. <laughs> <laughs> um, until next time, thanks for listening to Swing Thoughts. Shiver in the dark, it's raining in the park, but meantime Sound of the river, you're stopping your hold, everything